0: I wanted to introduce our speaker for today. So we're in this series, Power of Faith. We've, had, we've heard a lot of great voices, and today it's one of my very favorites. I feel like she has some great insights and perspective that will be really helpful to all of us. So here is one of my very dearest friends and my office mate, Caroline Thank you. Hi, everyone. Sarah is the best office mate. The only office mate that I have. (laughs) Good to see you all. So as Sarah shared, we're in the series called The Power of Faith. And I really like this title, um, Power of Faith, because this implies power implies the ability and the potential to make difference. It is about faith making real impacts in our lives. And whether that is in our inner reality or in our relationships, in our circumstances, um, we really um, believe in the faith making difference in our lives. So John and Charles talked about um, the power of faith to help us love more deeply and to have joy in all circumstances. And last week, Peter talked about the way faith empowers us to observe and notice things um, more in our life, making it richer and more uh, meaningful. So I thought about um, the kind of changes the faith has made in my life. Um, And I could relate to all of those things that's been shared. Faith has certainly brought more joy and, and more capacity to love in my life over the years. It has empowered me to notice and observe more. And I also see another consistent pattern. The faith makes it possible for me to move beyond my past hurts and where I come from so that I can experience things like joy and love more deeply. Because um, as Charles mentioned a few weeks ago when he was talking about joy, our past hurts can be real barriers in our uh, lives to experience the life in all its fullness that Jesus promises. We hear stories of people who achieve amazing successes against all odds, but somehow later sabotage themselves because they could not shake off the past wounds or the warped worldview that resulted from the past wounds, or because they could not maintain healthy relationships. We hear of the stories of people who have experienced and overcome trauma but are still haunted by their past and unable to move forward uh, with their lives. Not only that, we end up passing on the way the trauma or the past hurts shaped us to our children. I've listened to this fascinating interview by... Rachel Yehuda on On Being. It's a podcast. If you're interested, uh, it's listed in your program. She talks about how severe traumas can alter the way uh, genes express themselves. It doesn't alter our DNA, actually, but it alters the way they express themselves, whatever that exactly means. So it brings out hormonal changes and other things. And that change can be passed down to the offspring, biologically. So it's not only that you, uh, sh- when you know, the parents are, um, have, are not healthy, you shape your children and pass it down to them by the way we nurture them or don't nurture them. But it also happens biologically, the scientists are saying. For example, the children of the Holocaust victims or African-Americans or Native Americans, that the people group who've had um, tragedies and traumas collectively, um, their children have inherited these changes, which can make them more vulnerable to PTSDs in certain situations. We're influenced by where we come from, what we experienced and what our people experienced. Um, and in different degrees, we're bound by them. And I feel it's finding power too, what I experienced personally and what my people, Koreans, have suffered collectively. But over the years, God's friendship has consistently helped me heal and move forward to not be bound by my past hurts or the stories of my people, but to write a new story, a story of my own. So the power of faith to write a new story is what I want to talk about today. Sounds good? There are many stories of healing in the book of John. and there are, But two in particular seem very relevant to this topic. The first one gives us insights into what it looks like to be stuck in the past. The second one um, helps us to see the alternate way. So let me read uh, the first story from John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. They waited for the moving of the waters from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, The invalid uh, replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Carrying a mat was considered work. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning, and something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. It's a very interesting information about the pool. I am not sure if that's it. It really worked. But certainly the people gathered there believed but there's a, it's an unusual story. Um, it stands out among many healing stories of Jesus. Jesus heals this man who has been disabled for 38 years and didn't have much hope for getting better, which has to be an amazing thing Jesus has done for this guy. But then at the end of the story, The man who was healed seemed to get Jesus in trouble on purpose. He reported Jesus to the religious authority, which led to persecution and ultimately to crucifixion. How did this happen? We find the clues in his own words. He said when Jesus asked Uh, Do you want to get well? He says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. This comment shows how helpless and alone he felt. I have no one to help me while I'm trying to get in. And also that the world is so unfair to him. It is as if he felt defensive for being sick and useless. And imagine this went on for 38 years. This is the story of his life in one line. On top of that, this was in the culture that believed that sickness is a sign of God's disfavor. People thought, if you're sick, you must have done something wrong to displease God. This experience must have had a profound effect on him. The cultural message and also his personal experiences, how he saw himself and the world, and how he saw God must have been all affected by it. And he lived with that worldview and the view of how he fits in into this world. For a long, long time, it became a part of him. Then, one day, Jesus comes and gives him this inexplicably amazing gift of healing. He now has an able body he can choose his own actions. The facts of life for him change dramatically, instantly. But almost as soon as he is well and able to do anything with his body, he is rebuked for doing something with his body. The religious leaders come and rebuke him for carrying a mat on a Sabbath. And he cannot help himself but to react to it with, the, with his old worldview. It's not my fault. I was just doing what he told me to do. This is unfair. No one is on my side. Though his circumstances have changed dramatically, he is and he is not sick anymore, and he can lead, lead, a, lead a different kind of life. He's yet to be freed from his past. many ways, he still lives in his past. He cannot make choices for himself based on his new life. Not yet. Anyway, he reverts back to his old way of thinking. He still acts as if he is a disabled man and no one cares about him. then he went on to report Jesus to the authority as if that's the only way for him to exercise agency in his life. Yet my sympathy goes out to him because I can understand, I can understand how being in a terrible situation like this for 38 years would change someone and that experience would have lasting effects. And after all, he was healed just a minute ago. So we should probably give him a little slack. And I cannot judge this man because I see myself in him. It's a picture of all of us in many ways. Interestingly, the book of John gives us another healing story a few chapters later, With a lot of similarities, but with a very different ending. The story is from John 9 and is quite long. So I am going to just summarize the story for you and show you this nice icon instead of the text to look at. So in this story, Jesus meets a man who was blind from birth. His disciples debate among themselves and ask Jesus whether this man's blindness, is it caused by his own sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. And makes mud with his saliva and dirt and put it on the man's eyes, tell him to go wash it in a pool. And the man comes back seeing His neighbors recognize the man who used to beg by the temple. They're all shocked that he can see now. Isn't this the same man? They all ask. The man tells them, I am the same man. The man people call Jesus healed me with mud. Now, the day Jesus healed this blind man was also a Sabbath. Jesus, he was a real troublemaker (laughs) going around healing people on Sabbath. So the healed man now is brought before the religious leaders and questioned. They keep asking the man if he was really born blind. They even bring in the man's parents to ask them if this guy is really their, their child who was born blind. They all say yes. And they bring the healed man again and question him the second time. The religious leaders cannot or will not believe that Jesus healed a man because Jesus is a sinner who breaks the Sabbath law. He cannot be from God, they say. But the man who was blind but now healed speaks up and says, How can he be not from God when he healed a man who was born blind? So the religious leaders insult him and throw him out. The story ends with this passage. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Where in the first story, one person's healing leads to turning against Jesus, whereas in this story, it leads to a powerful encounter that brings him closer to Jesus. And we can imagine the transformative effect an encounter like this can have on, his, on this man. Before, he felt cursed by God. The whole society thought he was cursed by God. But now, the living God sought him out, found him, and loved him. Not only was he healed of his blindness, he's also being led out of the old and broken views of God and himself and the world around him. Even as the world tries to keep him back, in fact, when the religious leaders threw him out, this is what they said to him, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? So the world still wants to see him that way. But Jesus empowers him to move beyond that to write a new story as a beloved child of God. And not a new story as if his past never happened, but a new story because of his experiences. His past hurts now strengthen him and expand him rather than keeping him back and leaving him stuck. What did he do differently from the other guy? Was he just a better person? I can see one thing that he did differently. He kept looking toward Jesus. When the neighbors questioned him, he said, he says, it is Jesus who healed me. When the religious leaders questioned him, he says, it is Jesus who healed me. When they question him the second time and say, Jesus can't be from God. He's a sinner who breaks the Sabbath, Sabbath law. The man keeps saying, "We well, I, all I know is that he healed me. I received like never before from him. You all are making my life very difficult and threatening me and my parents, but I know Jesus healed me. And as he keeps looking toward Jesus, he is healed, not only physically, but also spiritually. In the first story, Jesus says to the man whom he healed from disability, the man who was lying by the pool, see you're well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. It sounds harsh, like a rebuke from Jesus. But I think it's an invitation. Jesus is not saying sinning caused the illness and sinning will cause bad things. Jesus rejected that cause and effect relationship in the, in the second story, if you remember. He says the illness is not because of something wrong they've done. But the Greek word for sin means missing the mark, like an arrow misses a target. I think it describes the universal human condition of losing touch with the source of light and life. We've lost our connections to God, so we don't even know where to aim. We don't know where the target is, so we repeatedly miss the mark. Sin is not about failing to do the right thing or doing the wrong thing, but about our alienation, separation from God, and from who we really are. And that's why we need Jesus, the God who is among us and who is one of us, so we can see him and orient ourselves so we can learn to recalibrate like the GPS does when we're lost. And when we keep looking at him and keep turning toward him as much as we can, we are continuously healed, guided, and found. We're able to truly follow light and write a new story. I've had the interactions like this with uh, Jesus about a year ago. So growing up, I grew up in Korea. I've always had this persistent feeling that I didn't fit in. I didn't really belong. Everyone seemed different from me. I was often judged for being different in my personality, preferences, or background in school, sometimes bullied for it. And even my faith experiences were very solitary. I uh, had my first experience with God at a camp um, in high school um, among a group of strangers. So I decided to go to church. um, But I never made friends. I decided that I'll go to church, sit for the service, and come home. So I never stayed, never talked to anyone, Picked a big church so I don't have to, you know, make any friends. <laughs> Joined the Christian fellowship in college thinking, okay, maybe this is what I could do. And I felt so burdened and they were kind of controlling. Uh, <laughs> burdened by the, the expectation of relationship that few months later I quit. See, the way I felt alone and different had become a way of life for me. So I didn't seek others out either. I had friends, but attachment and intimacy was hard. I tried to never need anything from others. And I did change. I changed over the years through many conversations with with God. And being in a, Communities where I could heal and I can receive and I could trust. People that I work with, my office mate, people I could trust. All these experiences have led me um, to uh, want people, uh, value relationships. Learn to, I've learned to need others. And the power of connections has been my guiding light because I know what, it like, what it's like to not have it. But it is hard to shake off things completely. So when I um, feel insecure or when I feel, you know, it would come up, come to surface, like I don't really fit in, I don't belong. And it's, it's hard, especially because when I live in this country where I didn't grow up in, So there is some truth that I am different, and there are times and instances that remind me that I am different and others see me differently. So about a year ago, um, I was having a hard time and some other things, Um, and I was having kind of a regular kind of crying out to God conversations with him about this sense of belonging, or uh, do I belong? Why, when will I feel belong? And I went away to, alone to rest and pray and just take some break. Um, and I went to this uh, place where there was this beautiful lake. It was early April. There, was the, there were no leaves on the trees yet. So the, there was a beautiful lake, and there are all the, the wooded areas. Of trees that were all brown um, and bare, bare. but among those trees there was one tree that was green. That was it was evergreen. It was slightly taller than all the other trees, and it was sticking out like a sore thumb. And I said to God, "I kind of feel like that tree, you know, sometimes." And this thought from God sort of interest, um, came to me. It says, yes, it is different, but it's still there. It shares the same soil, the same climate with all these other trees. It belongs because it's there. It belongs because it belongs. It's, it's part of the whole. And this thought had this Effect of breaking down the illusion I had about my own separateness. From the world and from the people around me. I've questioned do I belong so many times. Hoping God would somehow magically make it all well. And make me feel like I belong. When I belonged all along. And had to live like I do. And I had to just see that I'm here, and just the very fact that I'm here means I belong. And this made a subtle but very profound changes in my perspective and my approach in life, and I feel like I've never been the same. So the power of faith to write a new story our Jesus's invitation to keep looking at Him and being led and being uh, and guided to write that story of our own. I have some practical suggestions for you. If this sounds attractive to you guys, the first one is spend time reflecting on how the past hurts have shaped your understanding of God and the world around you. Your life have moved on. You're not living in the past anymore. But sometimes when we have powerful or traumatic experiences, they still keep us back. And it it doesn't even have to be traumatic or um, some dramatic experience. It could be the way you were raised, or it could be a certain circumstances that you've been exposed to over a long period of time. They shape us and they try to keep us there. Our mind still lives in the past, and we react to things as if our life hasn't changed. We make decisions as if we live in the same situations. Have you ever had the experience when you visit your parents over the summer, you sleep in the room that you used to live in, and suddenly you act as if you're a teenager again? There is that. So take time to reflect and talk to Jesus about it. Tell him how you feel, what you think, with no filters. And then listen to Jesus if he has anything to say to you. In fact, let's take a couple of minutes right now so you guys can have a little moment with God. So let me give you two minutes. I encourage you to continue um, the conversation with God about this. My second suggestion is when your past hurts are triggered, recalibrate by looking toward Jesus. So by triggered, I mean, these are the times when we're reminded of the feelings and the thoughts from the past, and they ve- feel very, very present. It is unpleasant when this happens, but it is also an opportunity for us to recalibrate our system. So, A, talk to Jesus, your, your feelings and thoughts without filters. That's what I mean by looking toward Jesus. Interact with him. Tell him how you feel, what you're thinking. Don't hold back. Don't try to be reasonable. You're completely and perfectly safe from his judgment because he will not judge you. You're hurting. He is there for you. Regardless of what happened or how it happened, you need his help, and he's there to give it to you. And then... After share your feelings and thoughts, try to listen to his small voice. Listen to the small voice of Jesus through your thoughts, impressions, sometimes dreams—just different way to think about it. There, you'll be given a perspective that you've never thought before. Could be a feeling. And it brings these little adjustments. They bring the newer alignment to our GPS system. And this, over time, really changes. And C, make choices as if you trust in his truth completely, even if you don't. So live as if you believe in love and goodness of God for yourself and for others entirely. And this is not being fake. This is making choices. This is making choices toward life. This is making choices to live in God's reality rather than in a space of alienation. And my last and third uh, suggestion is rinse and repeat. Because it takes Time and there will be many, many times that we will be triggered by our past, past wounds. And you may feel impatient at times that you're still dealing with this, whatever that it is that you're dealing with. I often feel that way. Periodically, I would go into season that makes me think, wow, I am even more messed up than I thought I was. And things surface again and you go through another layer of recalibration. But we're not doing the same thing. We are going deeper. If we keep looking at Jesus, keep talking to him and hearing from him, then before we know it, we will find ourselves different people. Not because we just become better at doing the right thing, but because the way we see and understand the world will be transformed by the truth of God's love. And before we know it, we will have started writing that new story of our own, the new story that can come because of our experiences and because of Jesus' guidance for us. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for being here thank you for always being present always guiding us always comforting us and healing us and i pray that you would bless the times that we spend with you when we speak to you and 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 talk to you i pray that you would come really close to us you would speak to us in ways that we, don't un- we can't understand and we can hear even, when, even if we have no idea what that means to hear from you. I pray that you would um, be that um, guiding light that we can walk toward, that we will start to find that connection back to you. And thank you for uh, the stories that we will be writing In Jesus name amen